0: Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for your church. We praise you that you love all people and have provided a way for them to be reconciled to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. At the same time, we worship you for creating the church, a diverse community of different races, ages, cultures, and socioeconomic statuses. You've not only reconciled us to you, you have reconciled us to one another. However, we also acknowledge That the church is often one of the most segregated groups of people. We have allowed our differences, including the color of our skin, to divide us. You are not honored by this. Help your church pursue unity in diversity. May we celebrate our uniquenesses and not allow our differences to divide us. May we welcome all people into our church. May all people, regardless of their race, find a family within our church. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we show the world what true reconciliation looks like. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Well, welcome again to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church, and we are in the middle of our series on racism. This week is week three, and I want to encourage you, if you are new or you need to catch up, or you're just wanting to learn and grow about the issue of racism— I would really encourage you to check out all of the resources online, nola.vcmvmt.com slash racism. You go there, you're going to find all of our sermons, you're going to find my sermon notes, you're going to find a ton of different resources, videos that we've done, everything is going to be there, and we've also, that's a growing document, a growing page, and so we want to keep adding and adding and adding to give you more and more resources. As a reminder, this entire series is really about understanding how God views the issue of racism, right? I mean, everywhere in our world, you can go online, you can go read a book, you can see articles, you can talk to other people, and you will get an idea of what people think and feel about the issue of racism. But if we want to follow God then what we want more than anything is to know what God has to say about the issue of racism. And so we're trying to understand the Christian worldview and how we should understand the issue of racism through the lens of God. And at the same time, understand what God wants us as followers of Jesus to do about the sin of racism. Now, the last few weeks... We've answered these questions. Week one, we answered, why does racism exist from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3? Last week, we looked at Amos 5 and answered the question, why does God hate racism? Today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 again. If you have a Bible, open your Bible to Ephesians 2, verse 11, or open your phone or whatever you're using to read, and that's where we're going to be, and we're going to answer this question, why should the church fight racism? Why should the church fight racism? And we are going to conclude this series next week answering what's the church's answer to racism from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as we think about the question, why should the church fight racism? racism, one of the words, one of the ideas that you're going to hear me say a lot is the idea of reconciliation. And as I think and as I thought this week about reconciliation, I thought about our current culture. How many of you like Ellen? My kids, not many of you, okay. Uh, My kids love Ellen's game of games. Now maybe some of you don't like Ellen because right now she is in hot water, right? Right? And one of the one of the things that Ellen is experiencing is this thing called the cancel culture, where at any moment, if you do something that someone doesn't like, or you say something that someone doesn't like, you can be canceled. And it's like, well, I don't want to hear you anymore. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Uh, we're done with you. And I I want you to think about that because it's not just in our pop culture or in our current world but this I think is a reality that Christians are also experiencing right I mean if you're having conversations with people about the issue of racism chances are the conversation has gotten uncomfortable at some point point. and as you get more uncomfortable in the conversation you might say something or think something that they don't like or vice versa and there's a chance That what you want to do, or what the person with you wants to do, is just say, you know what, we're done, we're never going to deal with this again, because I don't know if what you're saying or what you believe I can stand for. And So you just cancel. And as we think about reconciliation, and this question, why should the church fight racism, I want us to think about the, the reality, are we canceling people? Yes, about racism, but just think about anything else. Are we canceling people? And do you want to experience being canceled? And the bigger question that I think we need to think about is, does that line up with what God wants in His church? Can we hold to a cancel culture and at the same time affirm The idea of reconciliation that the Bible speaks of. So I want you to keep that in mind as we think about that question. Why should the church fight racism? Every week we've been giving this basic definition of racism just to get us on the same level playing ground. And here it is again. It's prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that's a minority or marginalized. So let's look at Ephesians 2 together. We're going to read verses 11 through the end of the chapter, 20 verses 22. Paul writes this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, who... Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. If you underline in your Bible, underline that statement. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, as we think about Ephesians 2, if you were with us just two weeks ago, we looked at verses 1 through 3. And so I think it's important to kind of tie what we read in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, together with verses 11 through 22. Verses 1 through 3 is all about the sin and brokenness we find ourselves in. That we are broken, that we are sinful, that we are under the influence of the world and the systems of the world and the influence of Satan. But then there's a major shift in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. Paul says, but God. And what he's reminding them of is you were here, but God stepped in and bestowed His grace. And so Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, shows us, what God has done because of our sin. And then there's this transition again, starting in verse 11, where it's like, okay, God has brought you out of sin because of Jesus. Now look at what He's doing in His church. Because Christ didn't come just to save the Jew, He also came to save the Gentile. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as we move forward. So, why should the church fight racism. First point, the gospel reconciles us to God. Verses 11 through 13 get at this reality that the gospel reconciles us to God. Now, in order to understand that, we have to get at who the primary audience of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church was. And everything that we read, it seems like primarily the audience of this letter were Gentile Christians. Gentiles meaning they weren't Jews. Now, don't forget about Christianity. Jesus was Jewish, right? And so Jesus came to redeem and save the Jews, but we find very quickly in the New Testament that Christianity, that Jesus is not just for the Jewish people, but he's also for All people, Jew and Gentile alike. And one of the things that we see in verses 11 through 13 that Paul brings up is this idea of those who are circumcised and those who are uncircumcised. Now, I don't have to, I think, explain that to you, hopefully. Hopefully you know that and understand that. If not, call your mom, call your dad, talk to them about what it means to be circumcised and uncircumcised. But... The point is not necessarily about like what happens, but what it represents. And for Jews, circumcision was a big deal. Look at Genesis 17, verses 9-11 through 11 with me. Genesis 17, God is continuing to make His covenant with Abraham, who was the beginning, the foundation of the Jewish people. And here's what happens. It says, and God said to Abraham, as for you... You shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you." And so this is a big deal because those who were Jewish were circumcised and it was a sign that they were part of God's people. But the Gentiles weren't. And so circumcision was a sign of the Jews' covenant relationship with God, something the Gentiles did not have. The whole point is not circumcision. The point is a relationship with God. Which is why Paul reminds them in verse 12, this is what your problem before Jesus was. Quickly, he says, you were separated from Christ. Christ was the Messiah who came to deliver and redeem and save the people. If you're separated from that, you can't be saved, you can't be redeemed, you can't be delivered. He says that they were excluded from God's family. When you're in God's family, you're saved, you're redeemed. They were strangers to God's promises. So everything God promised, the people of Israel, the Gentiles didn't have. Which ultimately led to what? They were without hope and ultimately without God. But verse 13 gives us the solution that the Gentiles came to. Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The last few weeks, we've went through this undivided study in our V groups. And and part of that is looking at racial reconciliation in the church. And the story that they used for that study was the story of Peter and Cornelius. Peter followed Jesus, was a disciple and was jewish cornelius was a roman centurion who was a gentile god goes to peter and shows him in a vision that it's now okay to eat unkosher food things like you know we love i love bacon i'm so glad that jesus came that i can eat bacon amen but jews are not supposed to eat pig And so God shows him all of this food, all this food to Peter, and he says, eat. And Peter's like, no, 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 God, you don't understand. Like, no, we don't do that. And and God says, no, it's okay. And then he tells Peter to go to Cornelius and share the gospel with Cornelius. And Cornelius, at the same time, receives a vision from the Lord that Peter is coming to his house to tell him about Jesus. And the, the point of all of that story is to show that God is not just for the Jew, but he's also for the Gentile, that God is for all people, that God wants to reconcile all people back to him. And in Acts eleven eighteen, this is what the Jews say when they hear the story of Cornelius. He says, when they heard these things, that is the Jews, they fell silent, And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. God is not just for the Jew, but he's also now for the Gentile. He's for everyone. Now, Now, here's the question that you might be thinking as we talk about this. What does the gospel reconciling us to God have to do with racism? And what I want you to see is what, throughout Scripture, God paints for us. In the book of Romans, it's another letter that Paul wrote. He says this, God shows no partiality. Now, part of what he's talking about is that God shows no partiality in judging, but at the same time, if God shows no partiality in who He judges, at the same time, He shows no partiality in who He saves. And so what Paul is getting at is that the gospel's not for only one race, but it's for everyone. John 3, 16, almost all of us probably know that verse. For God so loved the what? The world. There you go. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Revelation 7, verses 9-10, through After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, the fact that the gospel reconciles us back to God is so important in understanding how the church should fight racism because God is not just for one racial group. God is not just for one gender. God is not just for one socioeconomic status. We've talked over the last couple of weeks that God has created everyone in His image. Which means every single person is created with value and dignity. And there's this reality that if every single one of us are God's creations then he looks back and recognizes that every single one of us are broken and in sin without Jesus. And our God is a loving, compassionate, merciful, gracious God that doesn't want to leave us in our sin. And so he provides a way for everyone to come back to him. The church should fight racism because God loves all people. Black, white, Latino, Asian, you name it. And He desires all people to be reconciled to Him. So the gospel reconciles us to God. But here's what I want you to see in verse 14. The gospel reconciles us to God because Jesus is our peace. Second point, because Jesus is our peace. Look at what Paul writes in verse 14. A very simple statement. For he, that is Jesus himself, is our peace. Now, two weeks ago, when we talked about Why does does racism exist? We talked about sin, and we talked about this reality that racism, that sin, is not the way things are supposed to be. And that the idea of things being the way they're supposed to be goes back to this reality, this Jewish idea of shalom, which means peace. Now it's interesting that Paul would say, Jesus himself is our peace. Peace. I want to remind you of what I shared with you uh, two weeks ago from the book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, and, and describing what biblical peace, what shalom, what the peace that Jesus looks like. It says, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. It's a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. It's a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Now, I want you to catch in Ephesians 2 verse 14, what Paul doesn't say is that Jesus brings us peace. What Paul doesn't say is Jesus makes things peaceful. What Paul says is that Jesus himself is our peace. So we're living in this world where things are not the way that they're supposed to be. That we're to be reconciled to God, which leads us to the way things are supposed to be. We're trying to get back to Shalom and the peace that we're looking for is found in who? Jesus. Because He is our peace. So how is Jesus our peace? What is Paul saying in Ephesians 2? What he's getting at is that Jesus is the one who reconciles us to God. He is our peace the way the Bible talks about it, our mediator. I mean, think about in our world today, when, pe- when, when there are two people or groups of people that can't get along, they have to bring in a mediator, someone that can stand in the middle and work out what's going on. And, and that is exactly what Jesus has done for us Before God. Because we, remember, God is perfect and holy and righteous. And we are broken and sinful, separated from God. There is absolutely no way, we have no ability to get back to God. That's our problem. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And so Jesus comes in because He can mediate unlike anybody else. Why? Because He's both fully God... And at the same time, he's fully human. So he is completely like us in every way. So he can represent us. But at the same time, he is completely like God in every way. So he can represent God. And he stands in the middle. And he's our peace. He's the peace of God that allows us to be reconciled back to God he died on the cross for our sins he took our sins his death removed our sins and when he died on the cross and resurrected from the grave he reconciled us to God restoring the peace the reason that we can be reconciled to God is because Jesus is our peace but here's what I want you to To see because Jesus is our peace. The gospel reconciles us to one another. Paul does this incredible thing where he's reminding the Ephesians, he's reminding these Gentile Christians don't forget where you came from. You were lost, you weren't Jewish, you were separated from God, but God has reconciled you back to him. Why? Because Jesus is your peace. But also, because Jesus is your peace, he's reconciled you to your Jewish brothers and sisters. It's an incredible reality. Because listen, if you think there's racial tension in our culture today, in the ancient world, Jews and Gentiles did not get along. They did not get together. The Jews thought they were dirty and they were unclean and they were, un- they were unceremonial clean. God didn't want them to be around the Jews. And so they, they didn't get around one another. I mean, the Jews had to deal with the Gentiles simply because the Romans were living in their country. And what Paul is reminding us in Ephesians 2 is this reality that, listen, God has done more for us than just reconcile us back to God. That's a big deal. Because without God, we're lost. We're separated from Him. Hell is our ultimate reality without God. But Paul doesn't stop there. What he wants us to see is that God has a bigger plan. Salvation is not just, I don't want to go to hell, God save me from hell. But God has a bigger plan where he's bringing all people, Jew and Gentile, black and white, together for his kingdom. So how does the gospel reconcile us to one another? Look at what... Paul writes, number one, he says this Jesus has broken down the dividing wall. Now, scholars are kind of divided on what does, what does Paul mean when he says this dividing wall. Some people think it was a literal wall. If you went to the temple, before it was destroyed in 70 A.D., there was a wall with like a placard on the wall that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile and you followed the Jewish God and you were going to the temple, you could only get so close. And there was a placard basically saying, if you cross this fence, you could die. But if you were a Jew, you could walk through that. You could get closer to God. And so what Paul could be referring to is there's this physical wall. And now, because Jesus has come, because Jesus is our peace, that physical wall is removed. Jew and Gentile alike can come to God. But minimally, I think what Paul is referring to is at least the idea of the Mosaic law. That there were all of these laws that Jews had to follow. And think about some of the things that we've talked about. Things like... Whether or not you could be circumcised, whether or not you could eat the kosher diet and you could have bacon or not. Also crawfish. I mean you couldn't have any of that. Like what would what would Southeast Louisianians do? You know? Jesus has changed all of that. So there's these kosher laws, there's circumcision, you have all of these ceremonies, you have all of these things, you have to go to the temple. And it's not as if Jesus is abolishing the mo- what's morally right and what's morally wrong. He's not doing that. But anything in the Jewish law that separated the people, whether Jew or Gentile, what Paul is getting at is Christ has removed that dividing wall. It's not there anymore. He's abolished the law. And here's what I want you to think. This is where this hits us smack dab right where we're at. We still allow racial dividing walls to exist in today's church. We still do it. This week, as a, as a, as a staff, I just I, I wanted us to think about what are some of these racial dividing walls that exist today in our church. We talked about things like our music. I remember, I remember when we transitioned one. Music arts pastor, and Mark Anthony became our music arts director. And I remember people were, did not like how he led worship. Part of it's, it, he grew up in the black church, which is completely different from how worship is led in the white church. We talked about things like what. In how we preach. In the black church, if you guys wouldn't be saying amen to me, I would be doing something wrong. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Worldviews. Just how we see the world. Right? We've been having some really tough conversations. I'm I'm just personally telling you, this is the easy part of my job right now just getting up here and communicating god's word and speaking truth it's far easier to do this than sit in a group of people who see the world very differently and try to navigate those conversations one of my favorites is the high a high view and respect for the bishop you can laugh by the way what's one of the great things about having mark anthony on our team is i'm the bishop and so there's a high view of respect. And sometimes I'm doing something, he's like, what are you doing? The bishop doesn't do that. Have, have Pastor Matthew Weaver do that. <laughs> I'm like, I like that, Mark. Let's do that. Now, some of those things are funny. But, but what I want you to see is how there, there's this reality that these are cultural differences that many of us are completely unaware of. I didn't grow up in the black church. So some of the things that I'm learning for the first time, it's not that they're any bad or wor- or diff- or bad or good, they're just different. And we have to recognize that people all over the world who are very different than us, who look different than us, who speak a different language than us, worship and serve our Lord Jesus differently. But just because we worship and serve differently doesn't mean it's wrong. And part of what I want us to to think about as we think about vintage church is is this reality that we live in a diverse community. Like the greater New New Orleans area is not completely white, right? We all know that. There are white people, there are black people right here in this neighborhood, in Metairie, in Kenner. It's highly Latino and Latina population. We live in a diverse community, and so I think as a church, we should reflect that diversity. And what that means is there's going to be moments when we follow and worship Jesus that we're going to be uncomfortable with. Because the people that are coming into to be a part of Vintage Church see our world and worship Jesus a little differently than we do. And we have to recognize that there's not necessarily one right or wrong cultural way to worship Jesus or to talk about Jesus or to read our Bibles or to follow the church. Here's here's what I want you to think about. If we still allow racial dividing walls to exist in today's church, here's the reality. We cannot put up walls Jesus tore down. We cannot put up walls that Jesus tore down. And if you want our church to look more like the church that should look like in this community, then you need to be ready to be uncomfortable at times. And listen, people who are different looking than you, that are black or Latino, there are going to be moments when they're uncomfortable. We've got to be ready that if we want to have a church that's diverse, that a church that looks like our community, there's going to be moments when we're uncomfortable, but that's okay. So Jesus has torn down that dividing wall, but here's the second thing Jesus has not only torn down the dividing wall, Jesus has made us one. Look at, what, look at what Paul says. He says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. One new man. And as, I, as I thought about that, I thought back to a book I recommended a few weeks ago. You might disagree with some of his conclusions, but he does an incredible job painting the complicity of racism in the North American church, the color of compromise. And in that book, one of the things that he talks about is he talks about slavery, and he talks about this reality that some slave owners were Christians, and they actually wanted to evangelize their slaves they wanted their slaves to become christians but but here's the kicker for me they wanted their slaves to become christians but they didn't want to allow their slaves to be a part of their church so just real talk part of the reason that we have a racially divided church in the united states of america is because slave owners didn't want their black slaves to be in their church and, I mean, let's just keep going farther back and just say what it is, right? The reason we have a racially divided church in the United States of America is because white people enslaved black people. And as we think about that issue of, of slavery, I, I, I wanted to make this statement because I think it's so important. Yes, the Bible talks about slavery, and, and yes, there are slaves in the Bible. In, in the Greco-Roman world, scholars estimate that nearly one-third of the population were slaves. And one could have become a slave through whether birth whether their, their, their parents sold them or abandoned them through war, debt, or some became slaves to simply better their condition. They were so poor, they had nothing, they sold themselves into slavery to have better conditions. Here's what I want you to hear as we just understand the Bible. Slavery in the Bible was not racial. Slavery in the Bible was socioeconomic. And so when we think about, when we think about slavery in the American South in the 19th century, it's very different from how the Bible dealt with and understood slavery. But here, the reality is, what Paul is getting at is that Jesus has made us one. And here's what I, here's what I want you to think about. Christ does not create two separate but equal churches. He creates one new unified church. Church. And do you know why that's a reality? Because there's only one Christ. And so if there's only one Christ, there can't be a white church, there can't be a black church, there can't be a Latino church, there can't be an Asian church, there can't be a church for men, there can't be a church for women, there can't be a church for old people and young people. There's one church because there's one Body of Christ doesn't create two separate but equal churches he creates one new unified church and here's the reality if the gospel reconciles us to one another then the gospel makes the church family look at what paul says in ephesians 2 19 so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but f- your fellow citizens, with the saints and members of the what? Household of God. You see, God has reconciled us to Him because Jesus is our peace, but when we're reconciled to God, what that means is that we all have the same Father. And that he's not only reconciled us to him, but he's reconciled us to one another. And it's not like this is a non-profit organization. That's not how the Bible talks about the church. The church is the family of God. And so here's this reality. Because God is the one that creates the church. God's the one who sent His Son, Jesus. God's the one who sent His Holy Spirit into us. God is the one who saves us. We do not create the church. But here's what I want you to hear. It's not our responsibility to create that family, but it is our responsibility by the power of the Holy Spirit to maintain that family. So if Christ has brought us into His church, and Christ has made us one family, then as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to maintain that family. Now, I just want you to begin to think about what that means for you. Because it means a ton for me. But for every single one of us, if you're a part of Vintage Church and you are a Christian, then it means something for you to maintain the family. And it particularly means something as we think about the issue of racism. Here's the question that I want you to think about. I want you to write this down and I want you to pray through this question this week. How will we make certain vintage church is a place where all people not only feel welcome to attend, but feel welcome to become family? Right after the death of George Floyd, Rachel and I sat down with some of our, our black sisters. And we just, honestly, we just wanted to check on them. We had never done that before. And we felt terrible that we had never really asked them, after everything that has happened, how they're actually feeling. And as we sat down and we talked with them, we began to kind of unpack a little bit about Vintage. They love Vintage. They love to be a part of Vintage but there was this reality that came out of that conversation where they felt comfortable to attend but they didn't feel comfortable enough to consider themselves family and I'm just telling you that broke me because there's never been a moment that I've been a part of Vintage Church, that I've ever wanted someone to not feel like they don't belong. And I'm not suggesting that all of us in this room and watching have done things intentionally to make sure people that look different and think different than us don't have a place to belong. But as a white man and as the lead pastor of Vintage Church, I will tell you, I know I have not done enough to be intentional to make sure that all people feel like they can be a part of this family. And every single one of us, every single one of us, has a part to play in that. The church should fight racism because the gospel reconciles us to God and one another. So for us, the same question applies. What will our response To racism be. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for the gift of your son Jesus. That he is our That He's the peace we needed to be reconciled to You. And at the same time, He's the peace that we needed to be reconciled to one another. God, help us to fight the sin of racism because Your church is one body. Your church is one body where all people from all colors, all walks of life, should be able to find family. So help us now as we respond to you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.